Hey church, I'm Michael. For those of you who don't know me, um, I'm going to be reading the Bible tonight. And the Bible reading is from Luke 12, verse 13 to 26, uh, 21. So I'll let you open up to that if you've got your Bible there. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundance of harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Thanks, Baz. Uh, hi, my name is Miles. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here at Fig Tree. It's so good to be here with you tonight. Um, I imagine uh, there are a few people in this room that have some questions about Ignite. Uh, so do I. So, you know, we're kind of on the same team with that situation. Uh, to let you in on the goss, uh, no decision has been made about what happens next. Um, except for this. Sorry, um, Ignite will definitely happen. It might not look like we expect it to look like, it will definitely happen. And so for that, I give thanks. It's been a long few days. All right, let's move on. Uh, we are jumping into a series uh, this part of the year uh, called Mastering the Art of Life. Uh, I don't know how presumptuous it sounds to say mastering the art of life. Uh, my immediate response was a bit cheeky. I went mastering the art of life. I kind of went straight to, okay, boomer, tell me about that. Um, But that was just me being a bit cheeky and a bit rude. Yeah, thanks, mate. Thanks. Everyone see Al after the sermon so he can be a jerk to us. No, I'm joking. Um, uh, Mastering the art of life. There is a sense in which we we are travelling through life. It is this artwork. Artworks are messy and wonderful. Uh, About three years ago, um, I took on learning how to sketch. Um, And as I was learning how to sketch, um, uh, I I was taught about how when you sketch, you don't draw the perfect line every time. Uh, it was you draw uh, lots of individual lines and when they come together they form this beautiful picture. And that there are lots of moments of like... If, so essentially to draw a beautiful picture when you sketch, so I was taught... Sorry, artists in the room, but so I was taught was um, you fail lots of times and in the end the picture looks amazing. And so part of life is uh, it is messy, it is complicated, it is not simple, uh, but it is important. It produces beautiful things. And so we master the art of life Sometimes by failing a little bit, but we master in the art of life. We're moving towards. There's not a we've solved it. We're here, but we're walking towards a direction. I'm going to pray and I'm going to jump into Luke and see what he has for us there. Father, we thank you so much for you. Thank you that we get to serve you, follow you, and be amongst all that you are doing. Father, you are big and we are small. Thanks for being our Lord of all. Amen. Uh, jumping into uh, Luke chapter 12, we see this hopefully. Yes, yes. Verse 15. I'm going to focus on this verse uh, for the next uh, 20 minutes, just exploring what this has to say to us. 
Uh, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So says Jesus. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Now, he could have said uh, just greed. It's really interesting he says all kinds of greed because it opens up a whole bunch of categories for us. Uh, normally, when we hear greed, culturally, we think money. Be on guard against having too much money. But he's not saying that. He's saying all kinds of greed, which opens up a whole category of thinking. When he's saying greed here, he's saying uh, against all kinds of greed, which put simply is against all kinds of desiring to have more. Desiring to have more of anything. Jesus warns us against all kinds of greed uh, to say all kinds of just wanting more and more and more of things, of stuff. To be greedy is to want more and more and more, to never be satisfied with what is. So he pushed beyond just money things to say, well, all kinds of greed could mean experiences, it could mean likes and comments, it could mean knowledge, it could mean status, it could mean achievements, it could mean uh, friends, relationships, it could mean power and influence. Greed is a desire for more, desire for more and more of something. And he explores this further and further. And asks the question of us, well, well, what do you want more of? What are you greedy for? What are we greedy for? And what does that say about us? And he gives us a story of a man who was greedy for much. A story of a rich man uh, so we can see the connection of our stuff and greediness. The rich man has a good year, he has a cracker harvest, uh, but that causes a problem. He doesn't have enough room for his stuff. What a problem to have, hey? So he tears down his, uh, his storehouses and he builds bigger ones so that he can say to himself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years, take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. We learn a lot about this guy in a very short bit of story, right? We learn uh, what he cares about, having enough so he can not do much. We learn about, uh, a lot about him and what he really thinks and holds on to. The amount of times in this passage that he uses first-person pronouns of I and my is very full-on. Over and over again, there's a constant sense of it's all about him, constant sense of looking at himself. All the stuff that he gains becomes for him. Gaining more doesn't mean more generosity, it means more selfishness. His possessions, they, well, they serve the end of his own gain, his own selfish end for life. We learn a lot about him. I kind of end up not liking him as well. I kind of go, you don't seem like a really nice guy. It just seems to be all about you. Have you ever been in conversations with people and, uh, and you, uh, they ask how you are, and then whatever you say, they use as an op- opportunity to, to start talking about something that happened to them that day. You know those people? Oh, I know those people, yeah. Um, and, and I just, I, this is that guy. He would totally go up to him and go, how are you? And he'd say, I'm having a rubbish day. And he's like, I got these amazing crops today. They're packed, the storehouses are full. Immediately he would jump into what's good for him. And so I just don't like the guy, but I learn a lot about myself in the same moment. It's fascinating who he talks to. In verse 19, and I'll say to myself. We we do that, don't we? We say things to ourselves. We communicate things to ourselves. We say things about ourselves. 
We say things that are about what we need and want. I just can't do today without a coffee. If when I get to go to Europe, I'll finally be happy. When I possess that thing, whatever that thing is, I will finally have the good life. I need, I want, when I have, if only, if I lived in a better place, if I had a better job, if I went to a different school, if I had more friends. Possession. If I possessed these things, my life would be good and better. What do you want more of? What are you greedy for? What does that reveal about you? Uh, there's a, um, a social psychologist. Oh, there's all that stuff. Should have been different than that. Uh, the social psychologist. One more slide. There he is. No. Yes. Uh, a social psychologist called Sam Gosling. Uh, I, I think he's a bit of a pop psychologist, so I don't know if he's a legit source, but he writes a really interesting book. Um, and he says that, uh, what does your stuff say about you? Um, hopefully he doesn't ever hear this podcast and, and calls me up and says, don't um, disclaim me in public. Um, but um, he says, uh, what, is, what, is your, what does your stuff say about you? The stuff that you possess, what, is it, what does it communicate to the world about you? He says three things. One, um, with the stuff that you buy and you possess and you want and those moments of I need this, if only I have this, da 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 they are conscious identity claims. They are saying to the world how you want to be perceived by others. It's saying to the world around you, this is who I want you to see me as. I mean, it would be nice to think that we were um, so like, so just individualistic that you just don't even think about anyone else before you walk out the door. But you totally did. You got dressed today. You thought... I should wear clothes. And then you thought, I have clothes that I have chosen or have been bought for me and I'm going to choose to wear these particular clothes. You made a decision about who you are. And then as you walked in this room and we interacted with you, we made decisions about who you are based on what you were wearing. You made decisions about your identity, your age, your background, your, who, your story... We, we, we portray to the world and to ourselves, well, our identity claims. This is who I am. Every time I have to get up to a preacher, have, every time I get the wonderful opportunity to preach at church, um, <laughs> that sounded so bad, um, I, um, I, make, I make conscious decisions about what I wear. Very thoughtful about it. I don't usually wear these kind of clothes anywhere else. It's a choice that he makes to communicate. When you turn up to a wedding, you don't wear short shorts and thongs. We're making claims about where we are. The other thing he says uh, is that uh, they are, our stuff that we possess are feeling regu- regulators. They meet an emotional need. It's fascinating, right? Like the, that we, uh, the, the things that we possess, that we have in our, in our spaces, teach us about us. Um, so if you come into, like my office is a really interesting space. If you come into my office, uh, you kinda, I have a standing desk. I, sh- I have to build myself because I'm too tall. And, um, and, and you turn and look at it, and around, my, around my, um, my computer is just all these photos of all my kids and my wife. And so as you walk into my office, you, you learn something about me. You say, hey, that's what Miles is like. He really cares about those things. Those things help him to feel good because he's in his office. And what's things that regulate his emotions, help him to feel calm and good and enjoy things in life. When you go into people's houses, you see things that regulate their, their feelings. So when you go into a house and there is nothing personal in it, it freaks you out. Because you're just not sure who this person is. And the last thing is uh, unconscious behavioural residue, which are, are things that just reveal stuff about kind of your personality and how you work. Um, uh, for example, in, in my house, 
uh, we have a bookshelf, and like the main argument that my wife and I have about that bookshelf is how to order those books. Um, so Erin uh, wants to order them by colour coordination. I think that's an absolute nightmare. I think they should be ordered by, what do you reckon? Not alphabetically, don't be ridiculous. Uh, uh, topically. I think, hey, when I want to find that book on like uh, the incarnation, I don't want to look in the brown section. <laughs> I want to look in the incarnation section. You guys have different books to me, that's okay. But, but my, my point is, we, that's a moment that says something about our personalities. Uh, when we got married, we legit had an argument about it. We move house every time, it's like a thing. And so now we have two-thirds of the bookshelf is colour-coded and one bookshelf is topical, just for me. <laughs> yep. um, uh, but our stuff says stuff about our stuff. And I'm telling you those stories that you would think about your stuff. Okay? Tell you those stories so that you would think about, well, why do I dress the way I dress? What, what is my relationship with my stuff? What do you want more of? What are you greedy for? And what does that reveal about you? Why does Jesus care about this stuff? Why, uh, why, is he, why is he even asking this question, making this statement? Um, well, it's because he's concerned about life. And he wants to make it clear that life does not consist in abundance of possessions. That life is more than the stuff you possess. It's more than the things that you gain. That a life that... Um, is all about consuming more and gaining more and possessing more is like a cardboard, cardboard cut-out version of life. This was a counterculture at the time and it's still countercultural for us now, right? Like, we, we don't agree with that. Our culture as a Western people really says the opposite. Life does consist in having an abundance of stuff. It consists in having an abundance of those things that we possess and we possess them, they become ours and then we will feel happy. And the lack of those things means our life will be less. Life, for us, actually does consist in an abundance of experiences, achievements, status, stuff. If we have less, we have less life, and so we need more to have more life. Now Jesus' point here isn't that stuff is bad. He's not saying that those things we desire to possess are inherently wrong. He's actually pointing to something deeper that the greediness is the issue and that's an us issue. It's not a the things issue. It's not a contents issue. It's not a, a, a those objects issue. It's an issue with us. That our relationship with stuff is really important. And he has uh, two parts to the warning about why. Why does life not consist in abundance of possessions? Well, in the story we see two ways in which the abundance of possessions actually leads to a really bad outcome. The two ways we see it are um, it damages relationships and produces an unproductive future. So the reason that Jesus is giving this warning is that, if you look with me in verse 13, uh, he's, walking, he's in a crowd and someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now this moment represents a horrible situation in a family. It's saying that, can you take half of what my brother has and give it to me? It's not saying, can you be like a mediator with me and my brother so we can have a conversation and work out the best way to handle our inheritance? It's saying, I'm appealing to you as a higher authority to just take from my brother for me. 
How bad is the relationship between two people that you don't talk to them about it nor ask for help with the relationship but you go to the judge and ask them to agree with you? See, greed means this guy, this brother, wants more and the relationship with his brother is actually an obstacle to the thing that he wants more. His greed for more damages the relationship that he has with his family. The greed that we have for more shapes how we exist within relationships. We want to be liked. So, in a group context, we gossip about the person that is not there because then we'll look like we're in the know. Then we'll look like we know cool stuff and they're bad and we're good. And we damage relationships with both those people and that person and you and that person. We want to have a travel experience so we bail on um, birthdays and family occasions or opportunities to serve uh, or we stop giving to help others um, so that we can get that experience. We want a certain type of relationship with someone and it feels good so we start that relationship even though it might hurt another person. We want to be seen as a particular status of correct, as right, so we communicate information about another person to show that they are wrong. Our desire to possess an abundance, well, it can damage the relationships that we have with people. It also leads to um, an unproductive future or an empty, empty future. Because when you possess things, well, they become limited to you. They become tied to your destiny. So you see in verse 20 and 21, But God said to him, You fool, uh, this very night your, God will be, uh, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what... Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The rich guy dies and all his stuff is passed on. He saved it for himself and so when himself disappeared, well, he lost it all. He could have blessed others. He could have supported some great project for good. He chose himself and what difference does it make at the end of his life? What did he achieve? What was the good that happened from the great abundance that he had? Absolutely nothing. What a horrible end. It's just, it's just a sad end. He lives, dies, and that's it. Didn't contribute to the common good, didn't add to the kingdom. He just added to himself. The temporary nature of the stuff is it's tied to us and is limited to the life we have like fireworks that are bright and sparkly for a second but are forgotten in the next moment of the next firework. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions because it damages relationships and, and it limits an unproductive future. See, the beautiful things of life are in the things of life. If our goal is to get what we want and to live on it, we'll miss out on one of the most beautiful things we have to do. If it is life is all about taking and getting, our life will feel like less. We are made in the image of God. One of the beautiful things about God is he is a gift giver. He gives creation. He gives life. And he gives to us life that we might be gift givers too. We are given life that we might have, that we might have good things to give to others, that we might do good. I mean, it's, it's, it's a horrible situation remember the fires, right? absolutely horrible I never want this to ever happen again but there's beautiful moments in it you see them right like people 
giving of their time and their energy and their life for the good of others. It's amazing. It should be applauded and celebrated, and it is being. It's like this raw moment of pure beauty in the moment of, of midst of a horrible situation. We've seen people give so freely of their time, their energy and their resources for the good of others and the common good. That's what life's about. Not taking more, but being gift givers. It's sometimes in these raw, uh, raw moments of history we need to see pure humanity. It's beautiful. To give. Beautiful giving. And finally, uh, let me finish up looking at verse 21. Now, this is how the story ends. Uh, this is how it will be with uh, whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Um, the skeptic in me at this point uh, thinks that the preacher, me, um, is going to say you should give more money to church. I'm not going to say that. Um, we do, uh, as, as part of an act of worship, as a part of our church, um, there will be a time to give to the work of our church at the end of this, but um, it would be a far limiting thing to say, just give more money to church. Because then it would just be out of obligation, not an act of worship. This passage is not saying you can't have things, it is saying your relationship to those things is important. When we give to the work of our church, we're giving to the work of God. It's not about the place you're giving it to, it's the person that you're giving it for. Does your life consist in the pursuit of more? Well, then it will lead to a self-protective cone where you damage relationships with others and you have an empty, unproductive future. Greed leads to store up things for ourselves. Jesus points to another way. Be rich towards God. So what he's saying at this moment is, he's saying not that having stuff is bad, but be greedy for God. Desire more of God. Be rich with God. To walk deeply, to abide in Jesus, to be greedy, to be rich towards Him. We're led by the desire for more in Him. It builds in us new new desires and values that come from Him. He reshapes us that our possessions are not things we seek to the detriment of others. He reshapes us so that our possessions are not bound to us for our unproductive future. Through being greedy for God, our relationship with possessions changes. When we reach towards God, our conscious identity claims become uh, a different question walking out the door. What would a life look like based on God's identity for us? How do I dress and buy and relate and live out relationships recognising I am a child that is loved by God now and forever, regardless of any failing I ever have or ever will have? As a feeling regularly, what would life look like to retreat my relationship to God to regulate my emotions and the way I experience the world? Am I retreating to social media or to God for my desire to feel safe and belong? Am I seeking experiences and consumption to distract from the important things of life? And last, uh, unconscious behaviour residue. Um, sometimes we need good friends to ask questions of our behaviours. To ask questions of like, why do you make that decision? What are you doing? Because they come from a space that is not being rich towards God. Why can we be rich towards God? Well, simply he's been rich towards us. As the band comes up, uh, what does life consist in? If we're going to master the art of life, well, we need to know what life is, is. What is life? Well, in Jesus, life is 
being richly loved, and from the overflow, loving others. So the reason we, pos- we seek to possess an abundance of possessions is, well, we want to have hope, we want to have control, we want to be loved, we want to have belonging, we want to have all these things and get these things from that stuff, we want to possess those things so they make us feel and look and exist in a certain way. Who is the truly rich person? The one who has possessed so much and yet still needs more? Or the one who has been given so much that they no longer need to possess? Imagine a life where we are so richly loved, we have so much hope, we have an overwhelming sense of safe place and belonging in Jesus, that we don't need to possess more, yet we are freed to be who God is making us to be, to receive from him and to give to others. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life consists of being richly loved and giving love in turn. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for you. Thank you for the way that you have loved and cared for us and moved towards us. Yeah, as we, um, as we worship tonight, may this place be a space where we sit and we hear from you afresh, where we rest in the goodness of you towards us, where we not just think about your love, but we experience your love and the truths that your spirit is bearing deep into our hearts. Pray that you would be at work tonight.